Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15, Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Again, Luke 15. We're going to take a break from our series, Wisdom That Works, to focus on a Father's Day message today. If you're good with that, say amen. And Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32 is today's text, and today is a day that we that we set aside, right, to celebrate and honor our fathers, which encompasses biological fathers, stepfathers, uh, single fathers, foster fathers, adoption fathers, godfathers, grandfathers, uh, spiritual fathers, expectant fathers, right? And so we say, Happy Father's Day to you, and may you feel loved, and may you feel appreciated, and extra special today. Um, most of you guys know that my, my, I call him my daddy, I call him my daddy, uh, he went to be with Jesus on October 12, 2017, and uh, I miss him a whole lot. Um, had a great, great sense of humor, great sense of humor. He always had a joke to tell. Um, he had the ability to make everyone feel that they were special, and, and he was extremely, extremely generous. My dad was such a generous man and amazing work ethic. He's the hardest working man that I ever met in my life. A godly man and a man of integrity. Not a perfect man, but a man of integrity. And I, I miss him. Boy, I could sure use a hug from him today. So today's title is The Prodigal's Father. Everyone say that. Now, now many of you are, are very familiar with this parable. And, and by the way, a parable is a simple story to illustrate a, a moral or spiritual lesson that people could understand and relate to. In a nutshell, it's uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I'm going to say it again. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, now, in order to put the text, today's text, into its context, we need to read verses 1 and 2. So I want you to go back to verses 1 and 2 with me, beginning of the chapter. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, speaking of hearing Jesus. But the Pharisees, say Pharisees, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you see, Jesus likes to spend time with the worst kind of people. You notice that about Jesus? When you read his word, he likes to spend time with the worst kind of people. And it bothered these self-righteous Pharisees that he was doing that. And they, the Pharisees, wanted Jesus to spend his time with just good people. Well, Jesus then, what he does, he, he tells three parables that are directed to the self-righteous religious Pharisees. And in the first parable, if you read the chapter, the first parable, a farmer has a hundred sheep. We know that, right? And one gets lost. And what Jesus does, Jesus shows how the farmer leaves the 99 Right? Leaves the 99 and goes on search, goes on a search and rescue mission for the first, for the for the one that was lost. The second parable, a widow loses her, loses one of her ten coins and searches intently, intently until she finds it. The third parable that we're gonna be looking at today, a son is lost and eventually returns home. Now I want you to understand the common thread of these three parables is. That whatever is lost, whenever the loss, whenever the loss, excuse me, whenever the loss is found, there is a great rejoicing, a celebration. The farmer calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. 
The widow says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And when the lost son returns home, the father says, the son, this son of mine was lost and is found. And they throw a big party filled with rejoicing and celebration. And Jesus, what he's doing, he's is making the point that when the lost are found, say when the lost are found, or when a lost person repents, rejoicing and celebration breaks out in heaven. Now, you won't find the word prodigal in this parable, nor will you find it anywhere else in the Bible. The word prodigal actually means wasteful. Say wasteful. And it's connected to the son in this parable because of the way he wasted his share of the father's estate. Also, the word prodigal is synonymous with that of a, this is now, a wayward child. Say that, wayward child. One who has walked away from God. If you got it, say got it. That being said, as parents, some of us have children who are backslidden. Some of us have children who are rebelling, and they have walked away from their faith. They have walked away from God. And as parents, we did our, our best raising them with godly morals and values, teaching them God's word, showing them right from wrong, showing them that God's way is the right way and the world's way is the wrong way. And our hope, right, our hope and our prayer was that they would follow God for the rest of their lives. And then came the heartache of seeing them go astray, the heartache of them turning away from God and no longer seeking God's will for their lives. And you see, this is a situation here in this parable. And by the way, Lucinda and I know this too well. Two of our children, they are young adults, a son and a daughter, are prodigals. So this message hits home to us as well. Now as we go through the text, we will see the father's response to his son, which is a beautiful illustration of how our Heavenly Father responds to us, his children, when we go astray, when we mess up. Can I get an amen? Five points. I want to be brief. I'm not going to get too deep into this message. I'm going to kind of just keep it simple. Number one is the rebellion. Everyone say that. The rebellion. Verses 11 through 14. And let's go ahead and read that. Jesus continued, in other words, continued with his third parable. There was a man who had two sons. Verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate. Now I want to stop there. Now in traditional Middle Eastern culture, this was the equivalent of saying, Father, I'm eager for you to die. So he divided his property between them. Verse 13, no long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. And I want to stop there, a distant country. Say that, distant country. And I want to say this, a distant country is one step outside of God's will. It's not a matter of geography, but of a broken relationship with God. Are you guys with me? And there squandered his wealth in what? Wild living. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a, what, a severe famine. 
in the whole country, and he what? Began to be in what? In want, in need. So I want to I give you the first lesson, and here's the lesson. Whenever you leave God, there will always be a famine. Did you get that? Whenever you leave God, there will always be a famine. He who had it all, and this son had it all, didn't he? He who had it all lost it all. He went from fortune to famine. And you see, the pleasures of sin, I want you to get this, friends, the pleasures of sin only last for a season. And just like the prodigal son, the money runs out, the music stops, right? The, the crowd gets bored of you, and you find yourself broke, and you hit rock bottom. And God often lets this happen so that we have no choice but to look up to him. Are you guys with me? And you see, sinful living, friends, will separate you from every relationship that is important to you, from your parents, from your siblings, from your friends, and especially from God. Especially from God. And the prodigal son left his family. He left his friends. He left God. He rejected everything that was good, everything that was right, everything that was holy. And the result was a, a famine, emptiness in his life, uh, and a long string of bad decisions because sin always works that way, right? So we see there the rebellion. This son rebelled against his father. Number two is the repentance. Everyone say that. Y'all need to speak up. Sounds like you're asleep. Say the Repentance. Verses 15 through 19. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to what? Feed pigs. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods. That's sad. Pods that the pigs were eating, but no one, what, gave him anything. Someone put it this way, he, he dreamed of great tasks, but found great temptation. He dreamed of adventure, but instead found agony. He dreamed of prestige, but instead found poverty. He dreamed of romance, but instead found rags. He dreamed of happiness, but instead found himself feeding pigs. He had eaten prime rib just a few weeks earlier at his father's house, but now he dines with the swine. Verse 17, when he came to his census. You guys got that? When he came to his census. In fact, I have written both my young adult kids' names right there. That's my prayer, that they would come to their census. When he came to his census, in other words, when he came to grips, listen now, friends, when he came to grips with reality, he finally saw himself as he really was and remembered his father's home. He began to reflect back at his father's home. So when he came to his senses, it says, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, did you get that? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, that's speaking of God, and against you. So let's, let's walk through this, okay? Let's walk through this, okay? You guys okay with that? 
I will set out and what? Go back. Say, go back. Go back to my father. That's key. I will go back to my father. Repentance is what happens when you've been going in the wrong direction and finally you say, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back in the other direction. In other words, it's a change of mind about faith. It's a change of direction that leads to a change of life. Got it? So he says, I will set out and I'll go back. Change of direction. I'll go back to my father. Then he says this, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, that's God, and against you. Two things I want you to see here. First thing is this, he's admitting that he was solely responsible for the mess that he was in. And that he couldn't go back home until what? He admitted that he was the one who left in the first place. And you see, friends, you will know that you're really serious about changing your life when you stop making excuses for your behavior. So the son returned. He not only returned, but he also repented. The second thing I want you to look at here is, and this is awesome, when this young man thought of heaven, when he thought of heaven, he thought of his father. Did you get that? And when he thought of his father, he thought of heaven. Follow me here. He could not, the son could not be reminded of God without remembering his father. And this leads me to believe that the prodigal's father walked with God, that he had a relationship with the father in heaven, that the father, the the prodigal son's father left a lasting impression on his son, an impression his son could not escape from. It was seared in his mind about how godly his father was. And you know, I thought about it, and perhaps as a son, as I said, he he came to his senses, and he was reflecting back on his father's uh, relationship with God, praying to God, having devotions with the family at the dinner table. He was reflecting on his father's godly life, godly lifestyle. And you see, it wasn't the badness, get this now, it wasn't the badness of his life that brought him to his senses, but rather the goodness and the godliness of his father. Guys, got it? So here's a lesson, you ready? Our children need to see God in our lives. Fathers, if if you don't get anything, get this, okay? If you don't get anything, get this. Our children need to see God in our lives. Are you guys with me? And let me ask you this. What kind of lasting impression are we as fathers leaving on our children? What is that impression that, you know, that we make a lot of money, that we drive a nice car, that we're cool, you know, that we have great hair, huh? That we have a great career, that, you know, we're sports fans, or that we're godly men. Men who love God and live like they love God. They need to see God in our life, not only with word, but with deed. Are you guys with me? And that's what was seared in this young man's mind. He left, but remembered his father's godly life. 
Are you with me? So remember that, that as you live your life before your children, whether they're young, whether they're adolescent, whether they're young adults, whether they're out of the house, that they would see God in our lives. Amen? Now notice how sincere his repentance was and how he was so deeply hurt over the way that he lived. Next verse, here we go. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Did you get that? I am no longer worthy, he tells his father, to be called your son. Okay, he's thinking this. Make me one of your hired men. That brings us to the third point is this, the receiving and rejoicing. First you have the rebellion, then you have the repentance, and now you have the receiving and rejoicing in verse 20. So he was thinking about this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's saying this to himself. Make me like one of your hired men. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his what? Father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, 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 now listen. I want you to get this, okay? Follow me here. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still what? What? A long way, right? A long way off, his father saw him. You guys get that? So this could suggest that day after day, night after night, the father watched and waited for his son's return. Looking out the window, stepping outside. Could this be the day? Could this be the day that he comes back? Could this be the day? And he knew that someday, deep in his heart, that his son would someday come back. So he got up, went to his father, but while he was still long, a long way off, his father saw him and was what? Filled with compassion. Not hate, not revenge, not resentment. He wasn't repulsed. Filled with compassion for him. And what did he do? He ran. Say he ran. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, I want you to notice something. This is in the present tense. Not just one kiss, but continual kissing. He smothered his son with kisses. Get that in your mind. He grabs him and he's... Smothered him with kisses on the cheek and on the forehead. And this is an expression of the strength of his affection to his son. And once he saw that it was his son, hey, that's my boy, I could tell the way he walks. I, I could tell by his hair and his, his face, I could tell that's my son. Once he saw his son, he ran to him. Didn't walk, didn't stroll, didn't jog, didn't power walk. Didn't wait for his son to come to him. No, he ran to his son. He ran to his son. And I want you to picture this because lifting his robe, his tunic, as he was running. Picture that. He's lifting his tunic as he's running. He's sprinting. And I want to tell you, so most of you guys know this, in that culture, men who wore robes never ran in public. To do so was humiliating. To show their legs was humiliating. While throwing all dignity aside, he ran, didn't care. He went out to meet his son out of breath. 
but not out of love. Can I get amen? And as he got closer to his son with his arms open wide, tears flowing from his face, the time away made no difference. The smell of the swine made no difference. The rags made no difference, nor did the empty pockets made any difference. His son was home, and that's all that mattered to the father. And he threw his arms around him and kissed him. He didn't kick him. He kissed him. He didn't say, you know what, you need to first go clean yourself up. Or you know what, you need to, you need to remove those rags and filthy clothes. Or you know what, I'm going to you know, put some decent clothes on. Or he, you know, he didn't say, I'm going to put you on a probation period to see if you're, if you're really repentful. No, that would be the self-righteous Pharisees. That would be them, not the Father. All that mattered was that his son was now home. Verses 21 and 24, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, it's God, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I love what the father says, but the father, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is what? Said, found. So they began to celebrate. He didn't give his son a beating, he gave his son a banquet. Are you guys with me? And I can imagine him saying, Son, in a sense, paraphrasing, Son, your failures have not moved you away from my love. You're back. You were my son when you left. You were my son when you squandered all your money on wild living. You were my son when you smelled like a swine. You were, my, you were my son then. You're my son now. You will always be my son. And I celebrate your return. Ready for the lesson? Listen, assure our children that their failures do not move them away from our love. Assure our children that their failures do not move them away from our love. It is not easy being a parent. It is not easy being a father or a mother. And our kids will mess up royally, as we did when we were young, and as we still do at times. But we got to assure them that their failures or mess-ups and mistakes do not move them away from our love. I may not agree with them, may not approve of what they're doing, but I still love them. Assure them that we love them. Amen? Another lesson. Are you ready? Here we go. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Hey, if you, do you believe that our God could do anything? I'm not convinced. Do you believe that our God could do anything? Amen. And you know what God can do? God can melt the heart of stone. God can soften the most rebellious spirit. He's God. So I ask you, friends, and I stand here with you today to bring your child or children before him in prayer and have the confidence, the confidence that he hears our prayers, that he does. And he never gives up on anyone, and neither should we. I want to say this. 
If you have a prodigal son or daughter, let go with your hands, but hold on with your heart. Letting go doesn't mean giving up. You're just placing them in the hands of God, and when they come to their senses, they'll come back. Amen? Now, I want you to notice four signs of the Father's welcome. It's not on your screen, so I apologize for that, but notice the four signs of the Father's welcome. The first one was the kiss. Remember, he kissed his son when he came back, right? That is a sign of forgiveness. His son came, and he kissed him. I forgive you, son. That's a sign. Say the kiss. That's a sign of forgiveness. Actually, there's five signs, excuse me, five signs. The second one is the best robe. Say the best robe. And the best robe is a sign, get this now, it's a sign of honor and purity. Honor and purity. So the kiss is a sign of forgiveness. The best robe is a sign of honor and purity. The ring, say the ring, is a sign of sonship and authority. The ring, sonship and authority. The one with the ring, get this now, has access to all that belongs to the Father. Can I get an amen? It was a position of great privilege. The kiss, sign of forgiveness. The best robe, a sign of honor and purity. The ring, a sign of sonship and authority. The sandals, a sign of freedom. A sign of freedom. You see, only slaves went barefoot. And guests that came, guests that came, took their sandals off on arrival. Only those, get this now, only those who lived in the home were sandals in the house. So what the father was saying was, you're not a slave. You're not even a guest in my house. You're my son. You're my son in every way. You're free and you belong to this home. The kiss, forgiveness, the best robe, honor, purity, the ring, sonship, and authority, sandals, freedom, and the feast, the feast, the sign of a joyful welcome. The sign of a joyful welcome, celebration reserved for special occasions. He says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to what? Celebrate. They began to party. It was as though the father had received his son back from the dead. So I want you to think about it. Think about this, okay? Think about the kiss, the best robe, the ring, the sandals, and the feast. So that being said, question, did the son deserve this? Did the son deserve this? No. You know what that is? It's all grace. Say all grace. It's a picture of how God treats us. And I want to remind you, friends, if you're saved, say amen. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He treats us with grace. Grace. He welcomes us back as his sons and as his daughters with the full rights and privileges of children within his home. Amen. The rebellion, the repentance, the receiving and rejoicing. Number four is the resentment. The resentment, write that down, the resentment. Verses 25 to 30. Meanwhile, the older, see older, 
son was in the field when he came near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what, what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened cab because he has, he has him back. He has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out. Get this, his father went out, went out, and what? Pleaded with him. But he answered his father, and I want you to notice the emphasis of self on this older brother, this older son. Notice the emphasis on self. Look, he says to the father, all these years I've, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, he says to the father, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Can you sense the resentment, bitterness, arrogance, animosity, and selfishness? Can you? He's like, Father, this is not right. Didn't want to go in the celebration. Father comes out, tells Dad, this is not right. I've been here for all this time. I've served you faithfully, Father. I, I wasn't the one who went and wasted my inheritance among prostitutes and wicked people. You never gave me a fattened calf or the opportunity to have a party with my friends, Dad. But as soon as this disgrace to the family shows back up, you throw them a party? Now, let me say this true. The younger son was a prodigal in choosing a life of sinful pleasure. We know that. We know the story, right? But the older son was a prodigal in choosing pride of self. The younger son was an open sinner, but the older son was a hidden sinner. The younger son was an unrighteous son. The older son was a self-righteous son. The younger son had come in repentance. The older son stood outside with a heart of bitterness, resentment. Follow me. The older son was devoted to his father's law and his father's service, but entirely out of sympathy with his father's heart. He was acting like he was better than his younger brother acting self-righteous. He was acting like a rule keeper. He was acting like a Pharisee. The older son represents the Pharisee. Self-righteous, pointing the finger, rule keeper. I can't get too deep into that right now. We'll probably do it when we go to the book of Luke one of these days, okay? If you're safe, say Amen. I want to say this, when we're, when we're acting self-righteous, friends, listen now, thinking that we're better than others, it is impossible, say impossible, to be gracious. It is. We can't be grace givers if we are constantly, we constantly believe that we're superior to others. And you see, the older brother should have imitated his father's heart toward the returning of his prodigal brother. Instead, instead, he turned into one, into a prodigal. Hard, cold, and unforgiving. Number five, 
the response. We're almost done here. And I want you to notice the father responded to the older son's hostility with tenderness, grace, and patience, which is an illustration of the tender, gracious, patient heart of God on us. Verses 31 and 32. My son, the father said, I want to stop there because this guy didn't go in the celebration. The father came out, talked to him, right? And the, the oldest son went off on the father. The father could have said, what is wrong with you? You, you, you just, you, you selfish, no good for nothing. He didn't say that. He says, my son. The father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to. Say had to. It was necessary to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And he tells his older son that he's still mindful of him and reassures him that all that he has belongs to him. Therefore, there was no need. Hey, listen, son, to the older one. Listen, son, there's no need to be so upset over the celebration. And what I love about the father is his love for his older son was not changed or affected by the return of the younger son. He loved both of them. Both of them. He loved both sons earnestly, generously, and affectionately. Amen? So I'm just going to wrap this up. I told you it's going to be really simple today because I know y'all will need to go and have brunch, lunch, or something. Fathers, I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But we need to be tender, gracious, and patient with our children because God is tender, gracious, and patient with us. Amen. May we love our children as the Father has loved us. And may they see God, the Father in heaven, in us. Let's pray. Stand. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your word, and thank you for being the perfect Father.